Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Haggai chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. You can find that in your Pew Bibles on page 1,469. 1469. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. On the 21st day of the 7th month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of all, to, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it gain their strength from the Lord Almighty. How many of you have ever reminisced about the glory days? Maybe you were a star on the football field, or maybe you were voted class president. Or perhaps it was just a period of your life when you were on top of the world and it seemed like nothing could get you down. But now those days are gone and all you can do is think back to what it used to be like. And while those are fond memories, they also bring you sadness. Because you know it will, it will never be that way again. Christians are not immune to this type of discouragement. We too can find ourselves stuck in the past and mourning for today. Maybe you long for, for the days of the book of Acts when, when the gospel spread rapidly and, and the amazing works of the, of the Holy Spirit were manifest in great numbers. It could be that you desire a, a time like the Reformation when, when brave men such as Martin Luther looked death in the face, in the face and, and would not recant because Christ compelled them to do no other. Or perhaps you, you, you look back to an era when the church in America was strong and, and vital and was leading the way forward in this nation. Maybe you look back to the good old days of this church when the pews were, were full and it, and it seemed that there weren't as many challenges as, as we're facing today. But now you look at the current state of the church, whether it be this specific church or the, or the church as a whole, and, and you are discouraged 
and wonder whatever happened to those glory days. You put in your time and your and your effort to serve the Lord, but it but it just doesn't seem that that that, that God is doing anything. And so you ask yourself, why even bother? We are now halfway through this small but powerful book of Haggai. A book about a dislocated people who had returned home and, and were trying to rebuild their lives from the rubble of days past. And for 18 years, these, these Jews, they tried to, tried to rebuild their lives. They tried to do this in their own strength as they had neglected to rebuild the temple. And because of this, God was not with them. They were the people of Yahweh in name only. But now the, the, the prophet Haggai had called them to repentance. And, and the people listened to his message because they recognized it as the voice of God. And because they feared God. And so they obeyed his command to build his house. The reconstruction of the temple was underway. And, and things seemed to be looking up. And yet... There was this spirit of discouragement that had come over the people. It was the 21st day of the seventh month in the second year of King Darius, less than 30 days since the, since the work on the temple had gotten underway. They were in the initial phases, if you will, of, of clearing the rubble and collecting the, the cedar from the mountains. It was a busy time for the Jews, for for not only were they working on the temple, but it was also the end of the harvest. And to top things off, this particular date marked the finish of a week-long celebration known as the Feast of Tabernacles. It was one of three times uh, on the calendar where the people were supposed to tithe. And if you recall from, from, from an uh, earlier message, the people, they had been experiencing a drought. And so to give a tenth of a lean harvest would have been difficult for them to do. And if that wasn't discouraging enough, this day also marked the dedication of the first temple, roughly 400 years prior, when, when Solomon had the Ark of the Covenant carried into the Holy of Holies. And so what we see here is that everything that was going on in their lives was a reminder to them of the former glory when Israel as a nation was at its peak. To get a better understanding of this, look at, look at 1 Kings 8, verses 10 through 13. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their, their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. This temple was magnificent indeed. And we saw this in our first scripture reading, did we not? The inner walls lined with this intricately carved cedar paneling so that no stone could be seen. These massive doors made out of olive wood with, with the carvings of the cherubim and palm trees and open flowers that were all plated with gold. Gold-plated cedar paneling covering the inner walls of the Holy of Holies. What were the measurements? 
20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits. A golden floor throughout. Golden chains. A, a massive golden altar. Massive, extremely massive, 10 cubits long. Each one, the, the, the cherubim. Those two were overlaid with gold. And not to mention all the, all the gold and silver vessels that were used in, in their worship of God. I mean, the, the, the glory of this first temple was breathtaking to behold. And if there was ever a time to be reminiscing about the good old days, it would be on this day, on the 21st day of the seventh month in the second year of King Darius. For as a Jew, you would be standing on that Temple Mount, looking at your meager supplies of only timber and some broken down stones and wondering how this new temple could ever live up to the glory of the former. Was it even worth it putting in all this effort? But then the, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Once again, let's, let's look at uh, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't that seem to you like nothing? Again, God was addressing the people as a whole. He, is, he, he spoke to both the leadership and to the citizens. And he had for them three questions that address the heart of this discouragement. First, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Considering that the temple had been destroyed 66 years prior, one would have to have been at least in their 70s to, to even remember such a thing. Perhaps they were just a child or, or a young teen at the time of its destruction. But there are obviously some who could recollect, or God wouldn't have asked the question to begin with. They would have been the ones that would have witnessed all the gold glistening within. And they would have remembered the, the awe that they would have felt as they beheld the glory of that place. Which leads us into the second question. How does it look to you now? You see, God wants them to compare. He, he wanted them to think back to the former and then put the two side by side. What this first temple had in spades, this second temple lacked severely. There was no earthly glory to adorn what they were building. Just some wood and some, and some rubble. Which leads into his third question. Does it not seem to you like nothing? Here God was joining in their opinion and saying exactly what they were thinking. He did this not only to elicit a response, but to empathize with them as well. You see, God was not happy about this lack of glory either. He, he knew why they were discouraged. And he understood their frustration. Dear friends, did you know that God recognizes when you are discouraged even before you tell Him? When you, when you are putting in all that effort, trying to do God's will, but there just doesn't seem to be any fruit. 
when you are longing for the way that it used to be, when you say to yourself, what is the point? And you are ready to give up entirely. God empathizes with you and your desire for His glory. But He is not discouraged because He knows that He is in control of all these things. And so He imparts to His people some words of encouragement. Look at verse 4. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Here we see two imperatives or commands from God. Be strong and work. The first speaks to one's internal spirit. And the second to one's external behavior. First, be strong. God not, not only wants the leadership, but the, but the whole of his people to have this fortitude among them. He, he says it to Zerubbabel. He says it to Joshua. And he says it to all the people of the land. He wants them to be resolute in their purpose so that they could complete the work no matter what their circumstances may be. You see, the, the real issue had nothing to do with their physical ability, but it had everything to do with their discouraged hearts. There were all these obstacles in their way. There was the drought, the, the, the lean harvest, and then having to give a tenth of that harvest. And not to mention there's that shadow of the past, that, that glorious temple looming over their heads. How would this temple be of any comparison to the one that Solomon had built? But God wanted them to find strength from within. Because if they were resilient on the inside, then this second imperative, this command to work, would be that much easier. You see, if one has the resolve in their spirit, then they will have the ability with their body. And this call to work was just that. It was God's external command to His people. They were not to give up on doing what He had called them to do just because they were discouraged. Rather, they were to continue constructing His temple, even though when compared to the past, it seemed like nothing. But what would give them this strength? What would allow them to persevere despite their discouragement? What did God say? For I am with you. It is the presence of God that will give them that necessary fortitude to carry out their work. Where do you go when your heart is discouraged? To whom do you turn when you, when you long for what you long for seems so distant, so far away? Only God can give you the, the strength that you need. Only He can help you to continue the work. But He goes further than that. Look at verse 5. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. It's more than just words, but God is pointing them back to His covenant. 
Which covenant? The one that he made with Moses at the burning bush. The one in which he extended to the, to the people of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. The one that he continued to uphold even after Moses was dead. As he told Joshua these words. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua had every reason to be discouraged. I mean, think about it. He was following after Moses, one of the greatest leaders that, that Israel had ever had. How could he compete with the past? But God told him to be strong. God told him to be courageous. He told, told him to not be discouraged. Why? Because the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. And now God speaks to, to a people living in the, in the shadow of Solomon's temple. And he is reminding them that they too are his covenant people. They too have, have the presence of his Holy Spirit. He wants them to be strong and to work because he is with them. God desires the same strength for his church today. He wants you to remember the, the covenant that he made with you through the work of his son upon the cross. Jesus bled and died for you. Your sins are, are, are wiped away if you repent and trust in him. And just as Christ rose from the dead full of glory, you too will one day rise from the dead in a glorious body of your own. But in the time between now and then, he imparts to you his Holy Spirit to guide you and to give you strength as you work for him. This is the covenant that God makes to all who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus. And it is for this reason that you can be strong, particularly when you are discouraged. Because Christ, he is with you. You must have this inward determination to be faithful to God's calling, whether it seems to be glorious or unglorious. But the word of the Lord doesn't end there. For God will show his people the plans he has in store. Look at verses 6 through 8. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. First, God wants to demonstrate to his people just who he is. He wants to display to, display to them his might and his, his strength. For when, for when he shows up, the whole cosmos responds. The heavens shake and the earth trembles. He is still that divine king that made the mountain rumble at Sinai. And he will do it again for this people. 
He will create a tremor that will wake the nations, causing what they desire, their, their precious gold and silver, to flow to Him. It wouldn't just be the Jews who would mine the hills, but it would be the Gentiles as well who would fill His house with glory. It had been King Darius who, who had been taxing the nations, gathering gold and silver. And we find in, in the book of Ezra that, that when the surrounding nations of the Jews heard that, that they were starting to rebuild the temple again, that the regional governor, whose name was Tatanai, he, he tried to get Darius to put a stop to it. But this plan of Tatanai backfired, and King Darius ordered Tatanai to, to pay the expenses of the workers and to provide them everything that they would need in order for them to make the proper sacrifices to their God. You see, God is the one who owns the gold. He is the one who owns the silver. And He knows exactly what is needed for His plans to succeed. How often do we get discouraged thinking about what we are missing instead of focusing on what the Lord wants us to do? If God is behind it, He will make it happen. If He wants the church in America to be strong again, He will raise up leaders to make it strong. If He wants the pews to be filled, He will provide the people. And if He wants His house to be glorious, He will gather all the gold and all the silver. And this is exactly what he promised to his people. Look at our last verse. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. By the first century AD, this temple of the Lord had seen an upgrade that far surpassed anything that Solomon had ever built. Herod's temple was far bigger and had much, much more gold. And people would travel from all over the known world in order to worship Yahweh, this God of the Jews. It was a sight to behold indeed. But the greater glory that would enter into this house granting peace, that wasn't made of gold or silver. No, this, this greater glory that would, that, that, would, that would walk those steps came in the form of the God-man, Jesus Christ. He would walk upon the very stones that the Jews of Haggai's day would set in place. Here's what you have to understand. The, the, the work of this people would bring about a glory that they had little knowledge of. Even though what they were building seemed to them to be like nothing. When compared to the past especially, these people, the, this remnant, they played an important role in God's redemptive history. Often we can get discouraged as we look back and think about what God has done in the past and wonder, why isn't He doing the same things today? But God wants us to be strong, remembering that He is with us. He wants us to understand that, that He has a plan. A plan to bring about His greater glory from the seemingly meager work that we put forth for the Lord. So be strong and work. For the Lord Almighty is with you. 
And he will once again shake the heavens and the earth, demonstrating his greater glory. What an amazing God we serve, is he not? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we confess that too often we we fall into this trap of comparing the work of our hands to, to that of the great works from long ago. And we get discouraged because we don't put our trust in the plan that you have set forth. Help us to be strong by the power of your Holy Spirit who lives within us. And may we look to the greater glory that is your Son. We pray this in his name. Amen.